Today's episode is brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality, and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products. Welcome to the Fast Brackets Podcast, and welcome to Fast Brackets Nation. Guys, girls, you know if you're listening to this, you know that we talk specifically top sportsmen and top dragster drag racing each week, and we have a blast doing it. Unfortunately, I've had a medical procedure. I had a hip replaced um, just over two weeks ago. And um, I'm, I'm dealing with that, just going through the rehab process. Everything is good, uh, but it is just taking some time for me to get back to my normal self and back to where I feel like I can put out a quality show for everyone listening out there in Fast Brackets Nation. That said, this week, I've went to the archives. I've went back to what I thought were some specifically good interviews, both for this week and next week. And uh, picked out a few. In this episode, we talked to Eric Saffel, the president of drag racing operations for AFCO Racing. We talk uh, the latest and greatest for him. And then we also talk with Bruce Mullins, a top dragster standout. In uh, He's racing a lot of PDRA, but uh, what he does at the highest level is paint race cars, and he's just an ultra-cool dude. So I'm excited to bring both of those interviews back to you today. If you missed them for whatever reason, you need to catch up and hear these dudes because they were good conversations and just uh, good all-around drag racing stuff. So um, I'm excited to bring that to you. Um, I, it does appear that next week's going to be a little bit of a struggle for me as well. Um, I'm going to have something for you next week as well, but um, just hang in there with me. I am uh, doing the best I can to get back at it and so that I can, you know, uh, work on the car again, hopefully drive a car again here before awful too long and just um, so I can, you know, move around well. Um, one thing that has really come clear to me over this last year is how important our health is uh, to all of us and something I probably took for granted um, specifically when I was younger but uh, I hope all of you guys have good health um, I am working on mine and uh, really um, I hope you enjoy these two conversations we have for you today so um, in the meantime have a great listen um, Keep rolling out there. Take care of yourselves. Keep the rubber side down and travel safe. Whoa, let's get out of the groove here for just a second and bring on our next guest. He's from God's country, Evansville, Indiana. He is the president of drag racing operations at AFCO Racing Products. And he was on episode number two of the Fast Brax podcast early, early on. Um, so if you have not heard that, go back to episode number two. Learn all about our next guest. Please welcome back to the show, Eric Saffel. Eric, what is happening today? Rex, thanks for having me. Uh, gosh, it feels like uh, it's been a, a little bit ago that episode number two occurred, but... Uh, uh, we've we've had 
certainly some some interesting times and a lot of travels in between. So good good to be with you today. Well, time flies when you're having fun, right? So uh, I think that's what that means. Exactly. <laughs> right. Also, also right. when we get a little older, I think that's the other time when uh, time flies. Well, you know, it's interesting. I've got two daughters, and as I see one of them graduated here from, from college a short while ago, and the other one's, you know, cruising along too. They get older, but I stay the same, so I don't know what that means. At least that's what's <laughs> happening between my ears. Right. Yeah, no yeah. no doubt. Um, well, uh, glad to have you back, and let's, let's talk a little racing, and let's talk about um, specifically – um, you know, what, what you are doing at AFCO and to help uh, get power to the pavement. Um, you guys have, have I know, been, been uh, you know, on the front lines with this stuff. Um, you released a new, uh, a new product earlier this year. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I think to kind of frame things up a little bit, it, it sure at least appears to me there have been some big gains in other parts of the race car, you know, torque converter, driveline, horsepower. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're developing a good bit more horsepower. Yep. Um, with that, you know, the bar gets raised, the competition's quicker. We've got to accelerate these cars and, and get the mass moving faster. And so with that, you, you've got to control that, 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 that energy, that torque. And that's where the shock comes into play. And, and we have launched uh, a four-way adjustable shock to, to help, you know, fine-tune what we're trying to do with the rear suspension. And so, you know, from, you know, from the top down, I guess, the four-way shock is a shock that we can independently fine-tune low-speed adjustment from high-speed adjustment, both on compression and, and rebound. And, and so from that perspective the baseline to all this shocks are timing devices they're they're a hydraulic device that you know when you're soft suspension can move more quickly when they're firm and as you stiffen them up um, it slows everything down and you know as you develop more horsepower we need to have better control and and you need to have control that is um, very predictable and in this case what we're able to do is you can you can stiffen up, let's say, the low speed side of a shock, and it not have any effect on the high speed, or vice versa. So you can you can go in there instead of having just a double adjustable shock, we can really get into it and go next level with it. So that's you know kind of from the top, that's how it looks. Yeah, well, I think that's getting more and more important, right? As um, you know. We're trying to make fields, especially for top sports and top dragster class, where mm-hmm. um, we're trying to make fields. And certainly we go in with a, a baseline setup, but who knows what happens over the course of the, the weekend in terms of weather, track prep, whatever it might be. Um, or just mm-hmm. or just guys that are you know, maybe running nitrous or whatever. They're going, hey, listen, I got to throw another gun at this thing. And, and now that's going to impact us. Um, and just having more tunability is a big deal, right? I mean, are you, I mean, I'm guessing, I'm guessing the response to these things is really, really good. It, it, you know, the, we've got to keep the tire round. You've got to keep the tire happy. And so when you can, when you can provide a little bit more technology to, to do that, that, you know, it, it certainly is an advantage. Um, that acquisition has become so important and as we know from you know engine management but right through the drive line and, and, and to the rear suspension and so uh, when you're when you're talking about running you know heads up stuff you you need to be quick at every segment you can't give up anything to the 60 right. and then you have to accelerate that thing through so when you're looking at your data and you think okay i want this car uh, you know i don't know how people tune their cars but you know, we kind of look at a good representative run. If you and I are going to go out and make a lap in your car, and we find that after a series of runs, this car seems to work well if the car is squatting, compressing the shocks three quarters of an inch for, let's say, the first 100 feet. Mm-hmm. Well, you go out and make a couple of runs, and if your data doesn't show that, 
now we can get in and, and you can isolate low speed from high speed with these four ways. You can, you know, if the car didn't squat as much because maybe there's not as much traction out there, we could soften up the low speed and get this thing, you know, get the initial movement of the rear suspension happening a little bit quicker and start to get momentum, you know, down toward the racetrack and start to get that car down, you know, and, and digging. And then you can go into the low speed rebound side, hold that thing down without affecting high speed. If you get into the high speed too stiff and the car wants to slip a little bit, spin a little bit, now you could ratchet the car down. And, and that's where in this instance, this example, when you can isolate low speed rebound from high speed rebound, you, you can eliminate the car ratcheting if the thing gets into tire shake. I mean, I think that's one of the things we've seen. You can drive through tire shake if you can isolate or, and, and, and separate low speed from high speed. Right, right. Well, you talked about drivability and keeping the tire happy, too. And, um, you know, for our classes, when you, you're trying to make decisions on the top end, it's got to be drivable on the top end, too. And sometimes you can muck that up a little bit with how you adjust on the you know, down low as well. So that, to me, that, um, it speaks to me in terms of, uh, being able to drive through, uh, maybe some tire shake that you didn't quite get the setup right on. And then also the drivability on the top end. Like it's, uh, you know, it, it gets me excited. Well, and the only reason it gets me excited because it helps me as a driver, right? It's a driver aid. It can be, it can uh, be. I mean, and you know, the, the faster we go, the more we want to feel comfortable, you know, down through there and you'd rather your car feel into the racetrack than up on top of it. So to what you'd said a second ago, if we look at the compression side and, you know, we want to run the, the low speed a certain way to control how the car's coming down, you could still go in and isolate the high speed so that if you, you know, if you get into a, a down track situation where you're driving through a dip or driving over a bump, you, you can still run that high speed pretty soft and let the suspension kind of absorb that right. and not upset the chassis. Whereas traditional double adjustable shock, wherever you've got that thing set, the low and the high speed are tied together. So if you're kind of running the, the compression kind of firm because you got a bunch of hit in the car and you want to control how much this thing squats, it's going to slow the thing down to, you know, get your, your squat dimension or your distance but what comes with that is a is a pretty firm high speed setting that, that right. may cause the car to zip, zip the tire a little bit you know through that dip or over that bump no that makes perfect sense um and this is the type of stuff that just i, I get uh, geeked out on i mean you know in general terms we're supposed to just drive cars in a straight line but, um, you know, when it comes yeah. to this stuff and getting really into um, how that thing drives, I mean, mechanically speaking, uh, it, it's, it's really cool. The progression that we've made and, and specifically what you guys have made on uh, a shock, a four-way shock is, you know, will we ever get to the point where we see like an eight-way shock or a 12-way shock? Or is this, have we kind of gotten close to uh, the, the max effort on these shocks? Yeah, it, it's it's what 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 the future holds. You know, might be a little hard to to kind of predict. Um, right now, I think the, the 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 what's the here and the now is the four way shock that that we need to get out and and, and work with more people on. You know, recently sure. at an event, had an opportunity to work with both big tire and small tire guys with the four ways. And whether you're running the car to separate you know, there's an advantage or whether you're running the car to squat, there's an advantage. And, and that was kind of cool because depending upon where we were in the pits, you're thinking, okay, this car runs to separate. So, you know, let's, let's kind of flip the, the script on what we were just talking about. Sure. Work, work this side of the shock a little bit, you know, and then when the car's in separation, to, just to kind of follow through, if the car's trying to separate first, you can then maybe to help hold it up, give it a little more low speed compression to help keep it propped up, but keep the high speed compression again, light so that if it drives through a dip or over a bump, it doesn't upset. So there's certainly advantages to both types of setup here, whether you're running the car with a bunch of anti-squat to make it separate, or you're running this car to squat like a traditional big tire does. There's, there's some really cool things. And, the flip side is I think you really need to have data on the car to truly take, 
maximum benefit of of this extra setting or two settings that you have. So right. keeping in perspective, you know, we just want to make sure that we're, um, you know, we're, we're on track to. Yeah. Well, I think eventually, maybe someday, Eric, we will have the perfect uh, drag race surface, right? It'll be perfectly smooth and perfectly tacky. But until then, we're going to have to deal with, uh, you know, adjustments, shock adjustments specifically in order to make our cars go down the track correctly. I mean, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I, a guy can dream, right? A guy can dream about the perfect track. Well, <laughs> I, I think, yeah, I, I would certainly agree with that. I, I, I don't know that I necessarily want to see that because that might not necessarily, that may not make it necessary to have better suspension <laughs> components. So, you know, the, the shock guys over here is going, nah, I don't think I want that. <laughs> right. I want to have it tricky. I want to have a couple of dips and a bumps, and I, and I want to have the surface a little bit, a little bit iffy, so not everybody can hit the up arrow and go fast. Well, that's a good job security for you, is what you're saying. Well, did I did it come through quite like that? Because I really wasn't sure I wanted to be that selfish. <laughs> well, here's what I think. I think you and all shock manufacturers are in really good shape in terms of. Uh, the racing market moving forward because, you know, let's assume we all go electric vehicles tomorrow, right? I mean, I don't, you know, it, it's obviously not going to be that, but it, let's talk it way down right. the line. Well, then the biggest tuning uh, item we'll have will be in the suspension, right? The engine tuning will go mm -hmm. away a little bit. And so it'll be more important to have good uh, suspension than, than uh, not. And you even see it now, you know, even bracket guys are, are understanding how important having uh, consistent shocks, and I, I I was guilty of at one point in time of neglecting my shock package, and it impacted me. Mm -hmm. And and uh, never again, never again. How about that? Is I will I will not neglect my shock package uh, going forward because it bit me um, on a time when the car was really really good, and I really wasn't screwing up, and it bit me, and so that's on me. Right. But uh, you know, right. so well. My, my perspective, top to bottom, you know, top director, top sportsman to, you know, uh, somebody that's going to hit hit the tree at the on the bottom. Uh, competition continues to just become Ooh. killer. I mean, Ooh. you know, we we can talk about, you know, top director, top sportsman, and and what you guys are doing, uh, and how competitive you are, and how little you know stripe we're taking, running six ten or six twenties or forties. But at the other end of this perspective, you're going to go. So you're going to go six twenties in the eight and these guys are double O and everybody's best. And right. what they're taking on the, at the stripe is, is incredible. So you can't give up anything anymore. I mean, not, not if you want to be in the game. So if you're going to tow right. someplace and unload your stuff better be dead on it, you can't give it up. Well, and to that, uh, yeah, you got to be even careful about how you load the car anymore. Right. So you don't, uh, don't show up with, worn out shocks just from the toe even at this point. Mm -hmm. And I don't, I don't know what, um, you know, you recommend in terms of, uh, towing guidelines and that stuff, but, but that's important. And, you know, something that we probably didn't talk about 20 years ago. It, it really is. You know, I, I personally recommend everybody buys two sets of four way shocks, one to just tow to get there and one to race on. <laughs> of course. Uh, but, <laughs> We love that job security, <laughs> but no, really, we, we, we wear that stuff out getting to the racetrack. It's not going down to six sixty or thirteen twenty or right. thousand foot or whatever. Uh, so yeah, you you want to you want to make sure that when you tow the car, it's it's not bouncing around. Uh, years ago on an open trailer, I, I switched uh, I switched haulers, and for fifteen miles, I, I followed mine down the road. We stopped. And I got out, and first thing I did is reach the shocks. Reach for the shocks. They were already warm, and yeah. you know it's because I didn't have the back of the car tied down. I just had ratchet straps over the housing. So, yeah, I, let's let's tie these things down so that they're not flopping around, and and we'll get a lot more life out of shocks. Now, shocks do degrade over time, um, and so there's a whole other. You know, there's a whole other part of the conversation that, that you know that, that we can talk about at some point, maybe about uh, servicing, maintaining things of that nature. But you know, again, you don't want to tow 500 miles to an event, got your stuff worn out before you get there, and then 
it won't back the number up. Right, right. No, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and yeah, we'll we'll have to talk about uh, maintenance on another show because uh, I, I do want to. Before I, ha- I let you go, I want to talk with you a little bit about what you're doing personally um and you kind of were in a uh, unique project um with was it drag week i think it was yeah uh it's funny that you mentioned that um summit uh racing is sponsoring uh, a midwest drag a drag week this year it starts okay. it it starts at the track at norwalk um uh, you know in a similar format to the to the big drag week you make runs through the day when you realize they're determined you've gone as quick as you can go you take that same vehicle you drive it to the next facility which we're going to go to edgewater for day two okay same thing make make your hits until you know you've 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 maximized what you can do and then our third stop takes us to uh, uh orp there in indianapolis and uh you know we make hits and then and then back to norwalk well through all this, you've got to drive the vehicle that you race. So there's, you know, you, the thing has to make good laps within its class, and then it has to be roadworthy and yeah. not break down and, you know, not need service and whatever. Uh, we're not doing it in a traditional, what you might think a traditional car might be. It's it's not a, a Mustang. It's, it's not a Camaro. It's not a Chevelle. What? It's a 1989 Ford Ranger. So... Uh, that everybody's kind <laughs> okay. of thinking, yeah, yeah, that's a little odd. Well, truck's been a race truck. It's nearly its entire life. And in this category, we've got a 358 Roush cup engine, uh, going in this unit. And, uh, in the class we're going to run, which is an NA class, we, we, we believe that we can go nine O's pretty, okay. pr- pretty consistently. Um, the nuance with this is we're going to try to do this whole thing on a 315 radial. Um, you know, some guys have a trailer, some guys pull stuff behind, but we're going to, our plan is to strap the, the 315s on and not take them off. Just race them, drive them and, and rock and roll with them. So, okay. um, that's the kind of the twist there. Okay. Combo. Okay. I got it. Um, and have you made any hits with it so far? I mean, you, or where are we at in the process, the build process here? We we haven't made any hits in this configuration. Um, this truck ran down at Lights Out with a different engine in DXP Street, and uh, I think we went we went five twenty on the third pass, and uh, you know, and just ran out of time effectively at that event. We we, we ran into a buzzsaw, number one qualifier who had been running the class for a couple of years and just, uh, you know, we just need more time. So with the different sure. engine combination, you know, this, this, this truck, it's certainly capable in that config to go five Oh. So we've got more than a capable unit here to, to carry us to go nine Oh in this configuration. I think we're going to try to make some hits with it <laughs> the weekend before. So we're cutting it close. We're going to be a little <laughs> tight, but um, you know, as in all things or a lot of things, sometimes you, you never want to test at the race, but we could be making our first competitive laps at day one and we'll just sort it out, you know? Yeah. So. When it, um, well, you got a couple more weeks or when, do, when do they run that, Eric? We, we have to be at the track in Norwalk Memorial Day, Monday. And uh, so that's coming up pretty quick. Okay. Well, you better stop talking to me and get to work because, uh, that, yeah, that is right around the corner. Um, well, good. Um, certainly appreciate your time, uh, coming back on with us. You know, we're not, uh, you know, not even going to bring up the fact that you are a former roadster lover. We're not even going to talk about that. We're just going to appreciate the greatness that is you and, uh, and this, the, the, uh, the conversation that you had for coming on. Let me tell you, I hear you. I, I see your posts. You're always on the roadster, guys. <laughs> and, you know, I started in a door car. And But the one thing I will tell you, and I don't know if you've ever sat down in a roadster but or, or made a lap in a dragster, but the first time I ever sat down in the roadster, of course, it felt different. It was weird. But once you get acclimated to that field of vision, then 
jump into door parts completely different. I, I, I had been running the roadster, I don't know, maybe three, three or four years, make, got the chance to make a lap in a door car, a third gen Camaro. And man, I was claustrophobic, uh, get in, fire the thing up all at once. I mean, I've got Lexan that's got scratches. I've got a pillars roll cage, all this in front of me. And I'm like, dude, just hold it together. Get up here and let go of the button, you know? And, <laughs> and uh, it was, it was just a little different because when you look out there and you don't have anything in front of you, I was thinking, this is cool. You know, well, this is what I was, was missing. So I'm, I'm saying Rex probably needs to look at that and give that an opportunity just once. Eric, I understand the uh, reasoning behind roadsters, just like I understand that kale is good for me. I understand both of those things, and I don't have to like either one. So um, I appreciate your comments. Uh, I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, I understand. Yeah, um, you can't you can't teach it, can't can't get everybody to drink the water. I no, no. Um, guys, girls, that was the great. Eric Saffel, uh, president of drag racing operations at AFCO Racing Products, if you need him. All right, let's put this thing in the beams. On with us now is a guy who has wheeled almost everything on the planet not filled with nitro. Um, the Michelangelo of drag race cars, paint by Bruce owner, Bruce Mullins. Bruce, how are you today, my man? I'm doing very good. Thank you. Um, you're, you're coming to us from Fredericksburg, Virginia. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It is. I like it. Okay. Um, you have put out a few masterpieces here recently, and I'm really excited to have you on to talk about that, but... Before we do, take us way back. Um, when did this addiction slash um, career come about with uh, painting painting race cars? Well, it actually started at a very early age. Um, my father got me hooked on on both my addictions, I guess you could say. My <laughs> father, he, he drove a super stock car back in the 70s, and he was a body man by trade and on weekends his side work was painting race cars and i just i would go and hang out because i was just like my dad's the coolest right so and as he was doing this you know i, I took an interest to it as well as you know each year when growing up in northern virginia area they had the washington dc world of wheels car show and I would go every year. It was sponsored by Budweiser for several years and so forth. And these cars that had the elaborate paint jobs were just mesmerizing. And then as well as back then, if you remember, T-shirt sales at, you know, car shows, uh, Ocean City, Maryland, stuff like that, they always had the airbrush artists. Yep. And I would watch these guys all day long. And, I mean, it was like I was hypnotized. And that's where it all started. Uh, probably eight, ten years old. Okay. So you were uh, were you spraying stuff uh, when you were that age? I uh, I actually learned how to start doing body work and spraying primer at thirteen years old. Okay. And when was the first car that you uh, you, you sprayed? That was probably around. Oh, I don't know, 15, 16 years old. You know, once again, it was with my father. He was doing side work um, to get money for vacations or racing or whatever we did. And it started out where, like, he would do the body work, and then I would do all the prep work, priming, sanding, have it taped up and ready. And then it evolved into where I was painting, say, just the door jams. And eventually one day he's like, here, you go spray this one. And okay. it just went from there, from yeah, from spraying parts to whole cars, and yeah, it just I was hooked. It was like a drug. Yeah, yeah. Well, nowadays they'd have him locked up for violating child labor laws, Bruce. But uh, 
but it is the <laughs> it is the right way to, I think to learn how to do stuff right um, doing doing the the basics and the prep work it, well definitely you know it's definitely it's a way to start and I mean unfortunately kids nowadays they don't go down those roads uh, I have two kids that they're grown adults now but neither one of them wanted to come in that shop at all and I, I would ask them you know hey do you want to come in and help i'll pay nope 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 they didn't want anything to do with it so you know they went on to do other things in life but it's a dying trade unfortunately sure yeah sure um well then talk a little bit about was we'll, i want to get back to that but i want to hear about you know in that same age range um you know what what car were you getting behind the wheel of because you've you've wheeled a handful of really cool pieces so i want to hear about uh, maybe the first car you went down the track in the first race car it was an 86 camaro um but it was basically a legal super stock camaro my father was building for himself at the time and then with the cost of super stock racing and class racing getting so out of hand and I was coming into it with 16 years old, getting a driver's license. He decided that that was going to be my first race car to where we put basically like a, a little souped up 350 in it. And we went to a local drag strip. It was eighth mile place and the car ran mid to high sevens in the eighth mile. Mm -hmm. But it's how I learned to race. And then just over the years... Now, also as a kid, the other addiction I got was funny cars. I okay. just thought that was incredible. And in 1980, my father took us to Bristol, Tennessee to watch the IHRA Spring Nationals, and he was actually running in super stock. I made a beeline for the pro pits, and I would stand there as the fuel cars were starting up and the funny cars, and I was just like, I've got to do this. I have to. Right. And eventually I worked myself up from that Camaro running set mid to high sevens in the eighth to my first own personal car was a dragster that ran low fives in the eighth. And that was 30 some years ago. And that was pretty quick. Right. So then I actually got by painting stuff. A friend of mine introduced me to Bunny Burkett. And they had a trailer they were wanting to sell, but they needed a new one painted. Well, we became friends, and I told her about this dream of running a funny car. And she was like, well, I run the, the circuit on the East Coast. I could tell you what to do and introduce you to the right people, and she did. And that's how I got into an alcohol funny car. Very cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, and uh, what was that like? I mean, what was that like? Because you were a young kid still at the time, right? Yeah, I was actually, when I got into an alcohol funny car, I wasn't even 30 years old. Um, it was very intimidating when I got it home. I sat in the garage looking at it going, what in the world did I get myself into? <laughs> right. um, but she introduced me to this one man, Leroy Dudney, who just about has become a second father to me. And he taught me everything about clutches, fuel systems, Hemis, and so forth. And after a, a good, the first couple of years was a little rough trying to learn how to drive one. But then it got to where uh, I was made for it. I was born to drive one of those mm -hmm. because that is that is the it's the ultimate rush. I mean, you've got all that power in front of you and you drop a clutch and you've got to shift it twice and you run 250 miles an hour. That is just, it's the ultimate rush in my opinion when it comes to a race car. Yeah. I, it's hard to argue, I think. Right. It's, I think it's hard to argue against that. I mean, and I think the, you know, a lot of people will tell you that that's the, that's the toughest car in all of drag racing to drive that it's either an alcohol funny car or a pro stock car those are the the two i think hardest cars because the driver has to do everything still i mean i couldn't imagine what a fuel car is like to have to fight and steer but you know you're not allowed any type of auto shifters in right. pro stock or a funny car so that's a driver having to let a clutch out manually you know not on a button and you have to watch for a shift light or watch attack, and you have to feel the car and shift the car. 
to where it takes a driver. Right. And yep. I mean, that's why like, I give Erica Enders all the credit in the world. She, in my opinion, is one of the best drivers out there from watching her in-car cameras and watching her consistency. Yep. Yeah, that the pro stock stuff is about precision, right? And she's as precise as it comes. The the alcohol funny car seems to be a little more um, violent and uh, see the pants stuff. Is that accurate in your opinion? Yeah, uh, pretty much because like a, a pro stock car with a 500 inch motor, if you were to short shift it, the run is over. Right, it's done because the the power range. And the shift light, you have to hit that exact shift point every run. So, and, and shift on a five-speed, you know, I couldn't. I, I tried it a few times. Yeah, it's a blast. The staging part is the hardest. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for her to do the runs that she does, and when you watch the in-car camera, her nail that shift light, that's that's awesome. An alcohol funny car, you you're sitting between the tires so you're trying to feel the car listen to the motor because like you may start to feel them tremble you can short shift second but then you're going to string second gear out farther than you usually would say to make up for it sure so you know i mean those cars the best years i drove when there was no tack in the car i was taught to leave the tachometer back on the workbench Really? Um, okay. We would have, yeah, yeah, yeah. You could drive the best drivers out there. When I was running with Tony Bartone, Frank Manzo, Bob Newberry, and them, and they were like, "You need to learn the the sound, and you need to learn the feel." And basically, you could download the computer, run after run after run, and I was leaving and shifting exactly the same without a, without a shifting aid. That's uh, that's pretty impressive, and certainly uh, gives you a, a, a good um, base for any other class you're going to run, right? Because and you've done it. You've uh, been mountain motor pro stock racing. You've been uh, pro mod racing, and and then the latest thing is top dragster, right? I mean, it, you've you oh, yeah. carry that all that stuff over, right? Well, it does definitely because when you're used to feeling a car, say at 250, and listening to a motor that you're shifting at 10,000 RPM going down the track, when you get into something, say, slower, you can feel that car that much more. Yeah. You know, you have your ear. It's like when they say, okay, if a person loses their sight, their other senses increase. Mm-hmm. Well, it's the same way in a race car, in my opinion. It's an interesting take. I, I would agree with you, I think. Um, I don't think I've ever heard it that quite that way, but I like it. I like it, and I do. I think that's, uh, um, you know, the really great racers can do it in different types of cars, and it's because they've, they've got that feel um, from that type of stuff. Well, so without, a, a, without say, a tack or a shift light, and even, you know, even when I went to the screw blower, I, st- I did put a shift light in, but you're since you don't have a tack to watch i mean of course you're watching the groove and keeping the car centered but you're really paying attention to everything else that goes on around you Mm -hmm. i mean i I could get out at the end of a run and the crew would get down there and i'd right away i'd be like it's got too much bass on the clutch or you know it's light on the counterweight and they're like how could you tell i'm like i could hear the counterweight coming in and out going down the track and they're like are you serious? I'm like, mm. yeah, I could hear the motor tug down a little and then it would loosen up and it's like, okay, it doesn't have enough, enough clutch in it. Right. And so you go back to the pits and download the computer and you're like, wow, you could see that the motor was so far above the drive shaft speed. And then, okay, well, it might only need say six grams of counterweight or four grams of counterweight put on it, but that would be enough that you're, you had sensed it. Gotcha. Yeah. No, that's uh, that, I mean, I don't want to overuse the term. That's real racing, but I mean that is that is racing, right? I mean, when you the drivers it, are it really, really in is. It really is because, like, when I got into pro mod, that's when converter drives came into play, and the biggest thing that I hate traction control. Yeah. Um, I just I I am so against 
stuff like traction control because it takes the driver and the, and the tuner out of the car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. Um, no, it's a, it's a great point. That's a, that's really a great point. And, um, that's a really good perspective to it from it as well. Um, you know, just having that base. So, so now when you run top dragster, which is what you're doing now, you've, you've got a right. pretty good feel whether, whether the, the, uh, race pack data tells you at the end of the race or not, right. You've already got that down. Oh yeah. Yeah. You can, you can listen to a motor, you know, it's, you just, you've got to, you've got to be a driver that pays attention because if you listen to that motor, you get out at the end of a run, you know exactly what you either missed or hit when it came to the tune up. You know, if, if you really hear the, that thing go down through there and it's crisp and it's setting you in the seat, you're like, Oh yeah, we, we got that tune up. But there's times where I've left the start line going down through there, and I'm just like, oh, I got this thing way too rich. And you look at the scoreboard when you go through, and it's like, yep, it was a pig. (laughs) Whereas a a lot of racers, you know, I mean, they go down through there, and they get back, and they look at their time slip, and they're like, huh, that was a little slow. I wonder why. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but it also goes to where I build my own motors. You know, I I do – most of all my mechanical, my maintenance, so forth. The only things I don't do is like an automatic transmission. Okay. Um, when it came to the funny cars, I mean, I did my own clutches. I could rebuild the Lankos, all that stuff. So I could tell you what was wrong if I knew something was wrong. Right, right. But you've you've primarily kept it to the paint side here as of late. Is that is that true? Yeah, business-wise, I mean, you know, all I do for anybody else is the body and paint work. I don't build motors for anybody. I don't, you know, my local friends, yeah, I've got a lot of friends. They'll they'll call me and go, hey, this is what my car is doing. What do you think's wrong with it? And I'll give them my opinion. But I don't crew chief for anybody, and I don't do much, you know, any, anything besides painting for other people. Gotcha. Yeah, and you've... You know, I've recently we've seen some of the ones that have rolled out of your shop. Um, Lester Johnson being one. You just painted his new '58 yeah. Corvette, and um, there there certainly are trends, right, in the painting world. Like you know, you talked about um, back in the day that Pro Street type stuff and when everything was pastel colors right. and all that stuff. I mean, um, hopefully. Yep. Well, at least in my opinion, hopefully we don't go back to that uh, frame. But is there is <laughs> I agree. Yep. <laughs> um, is there a trend that you see coming around from the paint paint side that is uh, gaining more popularity? Uh, I'd say for at least the past five years, so many of the top sportsmen and pro mod cars are going with, say, a muscle car recreation. Yeah. Um, you know, like. You can all the Camaro Pro mods out there. Most of them, they either put the SS stripes on them, or some of them may do the hockey stripe, hockey stick stripe on the side. Right. But they're doing, you know, basically the standard muscle car paint jobs on them, which to me I love because I mean I grew up in that era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I do also like the flashy paint. I mean, a lot of my funny cars were very flashy. Um, but, you know, that's kind of the trend nowadays is one and two color paint jobs is all people call about. Okay, yeah. Cla- the, just the classic, right? Make it look classic and, and sharp. and um, I, I... Yes. But they all want the, the emblems airbrushed. They want all the, you know, like a, somebody brings me a new 69 Camaro, like one I just did. Um, he's like, I want every emblem molding the bumpers the grills the lights all airbrushed it's like okay yeah so the car looks like you know a total stock muscle car but then on the other hand this one had an all billet big block chevy with twin turbos uh converter driving a liberty five speed in it full floating mark williams rear (laughs) this car will probably run in the threes and it's got steel roof and quarters and so forth it's been a while since that's been a stock piece right (laughs) <laughs> yeah I, I would say probably you know like 1980 maybe right right 
Yeah, since it's been uh, since it's been forty years since it's been stock, let's let's make it look stock again. You know, but it is but it is right. classic. It is classic, and I get it. Um, I've I've recently kind of went through this, and I really struggled with how how much uh, action I wanted on the paint. You know, and it is. It's easy to right. say it looks good stock, so leave it that way. So um, I am hopeful that I got it right, but I'm not sure I do at this point. So you know, we'll see when it's done. I guess, but uh, yeah, that, that's sure. that's really interesting. One of the things I think that you have done really well, and I've mentioned this on this show before. Um, in terms of marketing, I mean, your your work speaks for itself, but you've done a great job on social media, both with Facebook and now with TikTok um, marketing. Yeah. yeah, talk talk a little bit about um, you know how you started doing that and and kind of some of the rewards you've you've gotten from Facebook and TikTok. Well, Facebook started out, you know, back. 10, 12 years ago, and you might have had 25 or 50 friends. And I started posting pictures of the cars I was painting. And slowly, you know, as people would share them, then I'd start getting more friend requests from people I didn't know, but they were like, hey, I have a car I need painted. Yeah. So I, you know, and then a lot of people, car nuts were really. I was getting a lot of friends, friend requests from car nuts and restoration people and so forth. And they were like, can you post some in progress pictures? I was like, sure. Okay. And I even had one friend that was like, when you're done, you need to post a beginning and then after picture. Oh, okay. And so I started doing that. Well, then it just snowballed from there to where every day, you know, it, it might be, you know, one, two job quotes a week, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's, you know, especially it's kind of funny, like days that I post a completed race car, say like Lester Johnson's car, mm -hmm. I'll post it jokingly, like sometime in the afternoon, you can set my phone down and it just nonstop beeps <laughs> of people commenting, sharing, friend requests. And I usually get two to five you know, estimate requests within the next couple of days. Oh, wow. Um, and it's just like, you know, here we go. It's time to post the next one. And you just set the phone down and you watch. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, cars like Lester's or I did uh, Randy Lambert's new Outlaw 10.5 Camaro that left last week. And within an hour, I got estimates from guys, hey, you know, my new car is just about done from chassis shop. I need a price on a two-color paint job and airbrushing. Mm -hmm. Like, sure, great. And that is how, you know, 15 years ago, I was barely putting food on the table to where now I have 10 to 15 jobs on a waiting list at all time. Oh, that's fantastic. And it's all come from – it is. It, it really is because it's all come from social media and how you work it. Yep. So when people say social media is bad, social media is terrible, social media is whatever you make it. Completely I mean, agree. I, I, I get people, like, if I don't post pictures for two or three days, I get messages, hey, what are you working on lately? <laughs> right. You know, and, and when I post a completed project, I get messages, what's the next one? What are you working on next? And... There's times we're at the racetrack, my girlfriend and I, and somebody comes up to me. They're like, hey, good to meet you. How you doing? I follow you on Facebook. You, you know, your work's incredible. Uh -huh. um, by the way, can you ride by my trailer and take a look at something? Yeah. And a lot of times it could simply be, you know, hey, I, I need a new hood scoop painted. Sure. Or we go to when we go to a PDRA race, there's a lot of people that come by and they're like, hey, I want to get my car painted this winter. I want to get on your schedule. And that, they might ask me middle of the summer. Okay. Like, I know you're going to get booked up. I want to I want to be on your schedule. And I'll go, well, when's your last race? And they go, the, the PDRA finals. And I go, okay, have it to me the following weekend. They're like, done. Right. No, that's that's so, great. I mean, that's that's good. I mean, it, it is. It's whatever you make it, and you've made it good. Um, and for I think you're a one man shop as well, 
right? I mean, you don't have a whole crew yes. of people, right? So, so for you, nope, the, no the, employees whatsoever. Yeah, that makes it makes it perfect. Um, I have said a couple times on the show that I think TikTok is maybe the most tailor made uh, social media platform of all for drag racing. Um, what's your take on that? Because I know you're fairly active on TikTok as well. Yeah. Um, you know, when, when I first saw, saw TikTok stuff, um, uh, my girlfriend was showing me like kind of funny videos mm-hmm. and I was at a race the first of last year and it was raining the whole day. I'm just sitting in the trailer and I'm watching TikTok and I'm like, I, I, I want to post a TikTok with like about six or eight of my favorite paint jobs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I went through my photo album and screenshotted a few and posted some music, figured out how to do it. Cause I'm sitting there in the rain with nothing to do. I'm like, okay, how do you even do this first off? <laughs> right. And right. so I went through, I figured that out and then I picked some music and I was like, huh, there we go. So it just kind of went from there and I started getting likes and comments on it and getting, you know, I don't followers, I guess is what you call them on TikTok. Sure. And it just to where it's like, okay, so now it, it's like the day that I get finished with a car, it's a total ritual. It's like roll it out in a driveway and I walk around it and make a one minute video. And then I take all the pictures and I post all the pictures on Facebook and then I go to TikTok. And sometimes as, as I'm leading up to that day, my girlfriend and I will be going, okay, we got to find music for this one. Which one will work for this one? Oh, uh, yeah. And so, you know, she'll be looking on her phone. She's like, well, how about this? And I'm like, well, how about this? And then we end up picking the music to put it to and we make it and upload it. I love it. Yeah. So, I thought I think it's so good for drag racing. I really do. I think because it because you can have uh, short clips of the race, and and then you know even a pick back in the pits or whatever it might be. I I think it's great for our sport because that's what the kids are doing anyway. So we might as well get in front of the kids. I think. Sure, it's out there. It doesn't cost us anything. Why not use it to promote what we love doing? Right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I still haven't um, figured out how to make the post myself, but uh, but I've enjoyed following you and some other people, and um, you know, on TikTok that way. And it's uh, it, it's it's fascinating platform. I'll say that it is fascinating platform, and I think uh, yeah, it's good for the sport. So I'm all about it. I'm all about it. Um, sure. Hey, you. Well, I, one, I tell you, somebody real quick, you might want to look up on there. That's great. Um, I just know him from social media is Rob Wedland. Oh, okay. okay. He was Terry McMillan's top fuel crew chief. Mm-hmm. Now, Rob, he posts TikTok videos all the time. Like, okay, this is how we fix a, a hole in a top fuel block. Right. This is how we do this. This. There's nights I sit there and just watch his videos, and I'm like, wow. And and he'll show how to operate a CNC machine. Um, the other day, he posted one. He's putting a new front half on Larry Dixon's top fuel dragster. Yeah. And, you- it's so interesting. Like, wow, this is cool. Yeah, it's interesting. I I read something the other day that said that when TikTok figures out their algorithm, their search algorithm are a little bit better because right now right. YouTube has a better search function, and so all the how-to okay. videos are on YouTube today. But the editing functions are easier and better on TikTok, and so what this article was saying was that once. Uh, TikTok figures out their search functionality a little bit better. Essentially, it will destroy the YouTube market because all the how-to videos will go to TikTok instead of YouTube, which I thought was fascinating. I uh, hadn't put that much into it, but... You know the techies, the people that really follow that stuff were like, yeah, it's it's almost a certainty at that point because, like you right. said, like people like Rob can say, here's how we do this. You can check it out, and you know we love that stuff. We love the how-to stuff. So I, th- I thought it was very, very cool. And there's a lot of a lot of people getting into the TikTok crazes as well. Um, shoot, I've seen airbrush artists on there. I've seen pinstripe guys on there. So you can find it. It's a wide variety. Let's say it's not what I think TikTok started out as. It's definitely blown out of proportion, but in good ways. 
Yeah. Well, there's certainly um, a, still a fair amount of booty shaking on that. I mean, there's there's no doubt oh, about yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna come across that every day. There's no doubt about that. But there is some really cool stuff as well. So, um, uh, um, well, listen, a um, couple things before you before you go. Do you want to talk about? I know okay. you've made um, a change. And I don't know if that's for public consumption yet or not on your top dragster. Are you are you ready to talk about what you're going to do with your top dragster here shortly? Sure. Okay. Yeah, most people know. Um, Breaking news. I, that's once again everybody's like asking me, you know, what's up with the new car and so forth. Um, last over the past winter, Precision Chassis in Pennsylvania built me a brand new car, <clears throat> and to go along with my painting, everything's over the top. Um, or as my girlfriend uses the word bougie, which I thought that was, you know, she said she had bougie wheels on her Cadillac when I met her. I thought it was a brand, but that's me. The bourgeoisie, Um, right? That's exactly right. Exactly. Exactly. So, but when I had precision build this car, I wanted a top fuel lookalike. I wanted tall side body, tall windshield big front canard wings which i got from scott weiss and his family off their old top fuel car ah cool well the car had the pro charger set up and my whole thoughts the minute i walked in and looked at this car i'm like it needs a blower it doesn't need a pro charger it needs a blower and everybody was joking ha 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 well unfortunately we had a catastrophic engine failure in may and i decided that i was going to go back to my as everybody calls it my roots and put a roots blower on this car for when it comes back out here in a few weeks so it will have it'll still have a 532 inch chevrolet in it um but it will have a 1471 ssi high helix blower with the big carbon fiber injector sticking up over the cage so it is definitely going to be a top fuel lookalike i like it um and and you're going to run pdra top dragster elite with that is that correct yes yes it is this car last couple years when i started running the pro charger the car was running faster than i kind of expected and i had gone in the quarter already 613 at 227 with my older car and that car wasn't designed to go that fast so my whole thought process was i want a car that is specifically designed to go say 240 250 miles an hour if it ever did yeah for the safety factor and everything i mean this car was built with a full floating rear end it has the titanium head shields on the cage for driver safety it is built in a 265 inch wheelbase for safety and for handling yep so it is built to run elite 16 and pdra which pdra is awesome organization yeah um the franklins who own it they're really good friends of mine and we love it the people if ever it's a big racing family yeah um occasionally i'll do some nhra top dragster because i still love quarter mile i love going over 200 miles an hour mm-hmm. so there's no feeling like that you know when you go over 200 225 miles an hour and the shoots hit it's like yeah she was riding so, <laughs> i like this it. car is is purposely built for speed i like it i like it well thank you for breaking the news and uh with that i have to give you the podcast certification so bruce i do not give this out very often but you are bam podcast certified that gives you a lot of a lot of ability to come back whenever you want and talk about whatever you want Um, much like a you know a chassis cert so you are absolutely podcast certified um you know we never know going in but today you got it done guys girls well thank you very much and and i'd love to come back again no you're you're absolutely welcome um you've got the certification i love it we had an absolute great conversation um guys girls that was the great bruce mullins if you need him
Today's episode was brought to you by AFCO Racing Products. For over three decades, AFCO Racing Products has focused on one goal, deliver high-quality racing products to those who compete to win. In drag racing, you only get one chance to get it right. Choosing quality components from the start leads to round wins and ultimately leads to championships. At AFCO Racing Products, they engineer, manufacture, and produce four-way shocks, struts, and double adjustable shocks, complemented by a complete lineup of springs to support the entire range of drag racing competitors. If you are bracket racing today and future plans include top dragster or top sportsman, they have the correct shock package for you at every stage of your racing career. For tech support, quality and superior on-track performance, think AFCO Racing Products.